The sermon text is the Gospel of St. John, chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus. He asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. Jesus answered, I am, as you say, a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Pilate did not really like being in Jerusalem. He was the governor, but he spent most of his time in a little resort town on the Mediterranean Sea, kind of like the Palm Springs of Israel. And Pilate only went inland to the capital of Jerusalem when he had to. And Pilate had pretty good reason to be leery of Jerusalem. Because that capital city was full of people who, from Pilate's point of view, were religious extremists and political wingnuts. There were all kinds of different groups and factions in Jerusalem. And they had, most of them, one thing in common. They all hated the Romans who were ruling over them, and they all wanted the Romans out of Jerusalem, their capital city, and out of their nation of Israel. By extension, they hated Pilate, their Roman governor. They wanted him out of Jerusalem, out of their nation of Israel. So Pilate avoided the capital city of Jerusalem as much as possible. He only went to Jerusalem a few times a year when he felt like he really needed to be there. And one of those times was during Holy Week, the week before Passover. That was the week when Jewish people from all over the world would come flooding, homecoming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That means now you've got political political wackos and religious nuts coming into the city from all over the world. It's like a really dangerous chemistry experiment with all kinds of combustible elements coming together. And that was one time when Pilate knew he needed to be in Jerusalem in person because things could get out of hand really quickly. He needed to be there to keep things under control. But he didn't want to be there. He was scared to be there. You can tell that Pilate was afraid to be in Jerusalem during Passover week because he was the governor. He could set up shop anywhere in Jerusalem that he wanted to, and he chose as his headquarters the Praetorium, a heavily guarded fort. He chose to surround himself with the most fearsome and well-trained soldiers in the world at that time. That is not the decision of a man who is confident of his personal safety or the stability of a city that he's trying to keep under control. And then, sure enough, right on cue, the religious nuts started on him. Friday morning before the Passover, early in the morning, too early. They're standing outside his door at the fort, wanting him to execute a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And they have charged Jesus with blasphemy. 
but they understand that this Roman governor, Pilate, is not going to care at all about a religious charge like blasphemy. So first, these sort of pesky, overzealous religious people, they engage in some almost comical circular logic. Pilate went out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Now, if Pilate laughed or smiled at any time during this very difficult day, that was probably it. They're going to have to do better than that. See, a charge of blasphemy, that's not going to do any good. Uh, trust us, he's totally a criminal. That's not going to work either. But what might work is an accusation of insurrection. If you could get Pilate to believe that this man is trying to set up some kind of rogue kingdom inside the Roman Empire and set himself up as the ruler of this little kingdom, that could get Pilate's attention and it might just be enough to get rid of Jesus of Nazareth for good. Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus. He asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, Pilate takes Jesus inside the fort, probably so that if Jesus' accusers can overhear this interview, they might get violent if they feel like it's headed in the wrong direction, like toward an acquittal. So Pilate takes Jesus out of earshot, but then the governor is straight down to business. Yes or no question. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes or no? And what comes now from Jesus' mouth is amazing. Because Jesus does not just submit to the earthly authority of this Roman governor. He doesn't just cooperate and answer Pilate's questions, even though he knows what Pilate is about to do. Pilate is about to unjustly send Jesus to the cross to avoid the kind of riot and insurrection that Pilate is afraid of. And Jesus doesn't just cooperate. Even though he knows Pilate will then wash his hands of the whole thing, Jesus shows love for the Roman governor. He tries to convert Pilate. So he does not answer Pilate's yes or no question with a simple yes or no. Instead, he answers that question with a question of his own. Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Well, the answer to that is obvious, isn't it? Of course, other people had to tell Pilate that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Of course they did, because normally kings do not act like this and kings do not look like this. Normally kings do not get beaten and mocked. Normally kings do not get tied up and turned in on a charge of insurrection. So of course, of course, others had to tell Pilate that Jesus of Nazareth was a king. But with that question, Jesus also gets Pilate thinking. Because if Jesus is not an earthly king, and by all appearances there is no way that Jesus is an earthly king, then what is he doing wrong? What is it that caused Jesus' own people to turn him in on an accusation of insurrection? He must be doing something, and Pilate can't figure it out. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own people, your own chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Got to be doing something wrong, and clearly he's not trying to set up some little rogue kingdom and make himself king, so then 
What is it? Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate is thinking on the wrong level. Jesus is not a threat to the power of Governor Pilate or King Herod or Emperor Tiberius. But Pilate isn't the only one here thinking on the wrong level. What Pilate said is tragically true. It was Jesus' own people, his own religious leaders that handed him over to Pilate because they are also looking at things on the wrong level. They are also thinking that Jesus might somehow be a threat to the power of the high priest or the authority of the Sanhedrin. But Jesus' kingdom is not from here. He's not interested in an emperor's throne or a high priest's chair. His kingdom is from another place, but now Pilate's really confused. What other level of king is there? If it's not a worldly king, what other kind of kingdom exists? You are a king then, Pilate asked. Jesus answered, I am, as you say, a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. This is the level on which Jesus Christ reigns. He does not reign from an earthly throne, commanding treasuries and armies, trying to conquer the nation next door, trying to subdue domestic threats. Jesus Christ is the king who reigns from above. He commands and controls the truth. He uses that truth to rule in the hearts of his people, to conquer their spiritual enemies forever. The truth that Jesus uses to rule is his word. It is the same message that Jesus himself spoke when he walked on this earth, the same message that Jesus is still speaking through the mouths of his people like you and me. Part of this truth is hard truth. Part of the truth tells us that we are sinful people who are lost without our Savior Jesus. That on our own, we are captive forever to our spiritual enemies of sin, death, and Satan. The other part of Jesus' truth is beautiful. It it also is the same truth Jesus preached when he was walking on this earth. It's the same truth he's still proclaiming through the mouths of his people like you and me. God loves all human beings despite their sinfulness. And he wants every one of us to live with him in his heavenly kingdom forever. So God sent his son and Jesus came to live the perfect life that God demands from us. To lay it down on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And to take it up again on Easter morning. That is the truth of Christ with which he rules. Because that is the truth that the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to faith to set up Jesus' rule in our hearts. And that is the truth that Jesus uses to smash all of our spiritual enemies, sin, Satan, and death, and set us free from them, really free forever. Jesus' kingdom is not from here. He reigns above. He reigns in our hearts with his truth, and he reigns to make us free indeed, free forever from every enemy. That, of course 
was not the level that Pilate was thinking on, and it wasn't even the level that the religious leaders of Jesus' own nation were thinking on. But it is the one that Jesus' people think on. We are Christians. We look for our King Jesus to rule in our hearts with his word. We thank our King Jesus for setting us free forever from every spiritual enemy. We are the people who have heard his truth and believed. So now, let's look very closely and listen very carefully to every word that Jesus spoke to finish this interview with the Roman governor. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. How much wiggle room does Jesus leave his followers with those words? Everyone. That means everyone. No exceptions. Everyone who belongs to the truth. How many truths are there with which Jesus rules our hearts? One. The truth. No wiggle room there either. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens. And in the original language, it's clear this verb, listen, this is an ongoing, continuing action. Keeps listening. Always listens. Now here's the whole sentence, very literally. Everyone who is of the truth keeps listening to the voice of me. Jesus has one singular voice, one truth with which he rules the hearts of his followers. So now I have to ask myself, how many spiritual voices, ideas, messages am I listening to? Of course, if you're alive, you can't help hearing lots of different spiritual ideas and messages and voices, but how many am I actually leaning into and giving my ear? Am I always listening to the voice of the truth of my king. You know, sometimes it's really easy to dismiss a voice, an idea that goes against the truth of Christ because sometimes it's just so blatantly obvious. I mean, you hear a spiritual idea that's just so obviously anti-Christian that you can just instantly say, that's a lie, forget it. Other times, though, it's a lot trickier because sometimes these voices use vocabulary that sounds really nice, uses vocabulary like God and Jesus, spiritual and love, but then wrapped up inside these nice sounding words is a voice, an idea that actually militates against the truth of Christ. That means now I have to do some work. I have to put some effort in and examine, is this voice really the voice of Christ or is it a lie kind of wrapped up in truthy-sounding language? Are we willing to put in that work and examine closely, make sure the spiritual voices we listen to are always the voice of Christ? What other voice might I listen to that goes against Christ's truth? Voice inside of me. You have one inside of you that says, you know what? Listen to Jesus when he is telling you things you want to hear. Do what Jesus says when it's easy, when it's convenient, but come on. This is your life too, and nobody's perfect, and you've got to live a little, right? What's that? That's not the voice of Christ. That's not the truth of our King. 
And then there's this kind of spiritual idea that I think a lot of American Christians are listening to right now. And it's not the voice of Christ our King. It's the idea that the nations, the kingdoms of this world, are actually more important than the kingdom that is not of this world. The nations, the kingdoms of this world deserve more focus, more concentration, more attention than the kingdom that is not of this world. Now, to be clear, Jesus' voice, his truth, tells us that our earthly nation is a blessing from God. And his voice, his truth, tells us to be good citizens who obey and respect our leaders and follow the laws and help our fellow human beings. And all of those things happen down here in this world, in this nation. But Jesus' voice, his truth, also tells us every nation in this world is temporary. The only kingdom that lasts forever is the one that is not from here. So then why is it that so many Christians right now go into full-on freak-out mode if their candidate loses an election? As if all is lost. Or which kingdom, which nation is most important to us? The one that is here or the one that is from another place? That's three examples. There's about three million different examples of voices that go against the voice of the truth of Christ our King. And Jesus tells us, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So how do you convince people? For that matter, how do you convince yourself to always be listening to the voice of the truth of Christ our King? You don't. You can't. Don't try to convince yourself. Don't try to convince anybody else. The only person who can convince people to do this is Jesus. You have to let him convince you. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. The normal thing for a king to do in Jesus' situation would be to fight, to charge Pontius Pilate and try to get out of that praetorium, then command his soldiers to fight, to get him free and get him back on his throne. Jesus doesn't do that because his kingdom is not from here. Because his kingdom is not from here, Jesus stands obediently in front of a mortal, sinful Roman governor. And because Jesus' kingdom is not from here, he stumbles toward Calvary after that governor sentences him to die and the soldiers are pulling Jesus toward Calvary after they have beaten him and mocked him. He carries his cross as far as he can and then Simon of Cyrene takes it the rest of the way and once they are there, because his kingdom is not from here, Jesus allows those Roman soldiers to nail him to that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus does all of that because his kingdom is from another place. It is above. It is in our hearts. It is where he rules with his truth and sets us free. That is the voice of Christ. That is his truth. And he has used it to call you and usher you into his kingdom that never ends. By God's grace, you are on the side of truth. You are a subject in the kingdom that lasts forever. So keep listening always to the voice of Christ, your loving King.
Amen.